Welcome, welcome once again to Wednesday night Bible study. And just give me one moment while I sort out the audio. I think there we go. So welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. We're on Revelation chapter 12 this evening. And this is where it starts to get wild. I think in the next few chapters, there's all kinds of opportunities for us to conjure up very wild ideas that really have nothing to do with what the text is really saying. And in this chapter, chapter 12, there are two concepts that are floating around out there in the Christian world and even in the Church of God, one of them, that we just need to knock on the head uh, because the text is not saying what is being taught. So we'll open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into Revelation chapter 12. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before you. We just give you praise, Father, and we just glorify your name. We thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ and for opening our hearts and our minds to him. We glorify him, Father, and we know that as we glorify him, we bring honor and praise to you. We pray that you'll be with us uh, this evening, that you'll bless our study, that you'll increase our understanding, and that you'll deepen our commitment to walk with Christ. We thank you, Father. We ask this blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So we're on to uh, Revelation chapter 12. And remember, we are in the seventh trumpet, which is the third woe. And this chapter opens up uh, very interestingly with a, with a vision that John had that has just been terribly uh, misinterpreted. So we'll go to the scripture now. And in Revelation chapter 12, in verse 1, John has this vision. He says, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Last year, it was all about these two verses. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Christian world just lit up last year. And I am talking about, some of you uh, may be uh, familiar with this, I'm talking about um, September 23rd. On September 23rd, the, the constellations uh, lined up in such a way that it seemed to reflect exactly what is written here in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You'll see here, in the, um, the, you'll see a woman in the constellation, and you'll see the sun, she's clothed with the sun, and you'll see that the moon is at her feet. You'll also notice that there are these um, stars above her. There are nine stars that were perfectly aligned above her, and then three planets as well to make 12. So she has 12 stars uh, in her crown. She has the sun that is clothing her. The moon is at her feet. Nine months earlier, the planet Jupiter, which is the king planet, entered into her womb, which created the conception. And so the, the, everybody was saying, September 23rd, this is the rapture. This, this is when everything lines up and the church is going to be raptured. And of course, you know, we sat back and just said, this is just not true. And long before September 23rd, we were saying, it's just, it's just not going to happen. Because this is a misinterpretation of the text. So what is the text really saying? Let's go back to the text here. And what we see here, we'll actually go back to chapter 11. And before I do that, I just want to go to actually chapter 1, verse 1. This, this is what's going to keep us from getting into trouble. 
if we remember the purpose of the apocalypse. This is the apocalypse, the revealing of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. And why did God give Christ this revealing? To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So this is for us. And it's for us to understand what's going to happen in the future and that all of this is going to happen quickly. And he sent and signified it. So I have here a symbol. So he, he codified it. He put it in symbols uh, by his angel unto his servant John. So John received this uh, revelation, this apocalypse. He received it in symbols. So if you see this sign, is this sign the thing? Or is this sign pointing to the thing and telling you that the thing is up ahead? And, and this, is where, this is what we have to do to ensure that we don't get mixed up. That unlike Genesis, uh, where we take Genesis literally, you know, Adam was a real man. Eve was a real woman. They were not symbols. Revelation is actually the opposite. Where in Genesis, we take everything literally unless it's obvious we're dealing with a symbol. In Revelation, basically we take everything symbolically, unless it's obvious that it should be taken literal, literally. So the, the reason the people got mixed up here is they are treating what is symbolic, they're treating it as if it's literal. So we have to understand then that the message is codified. And just as when Christ was uh, speaking here on earth, when he came as a human being, and, and he says to his disciples, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It's not for everybody. But to others he spoke in parables. Why? That seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. So we have uh, many people who, who, you know, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And because he says there is no God, when he comes to scriptures like Revelation, it's all hogwash to him. You know, the fool looks at Revelation and just thinks, yeah, I read the Bible. It doesn't make any sense. Well, that's the obvious obstacle for those who don't believe in God or don't take God seriously. For those of us whom God has opened our hearts to Christ, and we know this is the word of God, you know what? We labor. We wrestle with this. We struggle with it. We go over it over and over, year after year. What is God saying? And because we struggle like this, God opens up our understanding. So God deliberately puts hurdles in front of the wicked so that they don't understand. But then for those who it's intended for, he puts in us the desire to labor to understand. And it's with that labor for understanding that he opens up to, his, up to us his word. So revelation is not for everybody. And I was talking to my wife the other day about these kind of crazy ideas that are out there. We're going to talk about the place of safety um, in a moment. Uh, which is also another crazy idea uh, that's taken from the book of Revelation. And she said to me, you know, it's very interesting. She said, they're using, I don't know what I mean exactly, but they're using Revelation as an evangelical tool. They're using it to recruit or as a way to keep people in their church. So, you know, if I have the ticket to the place of safety, I have your ticket to the place of safety. And if you leave my church, you're not going to the place of safety. And so it's sort of this uh, leash that I'm able to put on the members of the church to keep them in my church and keep the tithes coming to me. Well, 
the scripture isn't saying this. And so if people realize they're free, then you know what? Christ is their Lord, not me. And Christ will lead them. He's the, he's the over-shepherd. And so people are using, and there's some, one in particular that I'm, maybe two of them that I'm aware of, that are horrible. They are using this, they're abusing God's people and able to keep people, God's people in check by, by this fear that I might not get into the place of safety. And so we don't use the book of Revelation as, a, as an evangelical tool. In, in an evangelical campaign, we may refer to Revelation, but this is for believers. And it's not about uh, recruiting. It's, it's not a book for recruitment. It's a book for endurance. This is a book to us, for us to take it seriously, to realize what we may have to go through, but that we have to endure to the end. So we want to take a very responsible reading of the text so that we can understand really what it's saying. And we're not going to have these kind of wild ideas and put things in the text that are not there. We want to take a very responsible approach to the text. And so we come back to this. We'll, be, we'll pick it up to give it context where we were last week in Revelation 11. And he says the second woe is past. So we're now moving into the seventh trumpet, which is the third woe. So the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe comes quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, so the seventh angel is the third woe, the seventh trumpet is the third woe. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So this is it. When the seventh trumpet blows, it's all over. So whatever happens now in the seventh trumpet, it's signaling this is when God moves and ushers in his kingdom. And notice this, verse 18, and the nations were angry, and your wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should give reward unto your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear your name, small and great, and you should destroy them which destroy the earth. So this third woe is a time when the nations are angry. We have to keep that, that thought in mind, that something happens that causes the nations to be angry. And we need to understand this. Why are the nations so angry? And why are they angry with us? Why, why is, you know, if you declare Christ, why does everybody turn on you? Why are Christians becoming the most persecuted group in the world? What's going on? So he goes on to say here, and at this time what happened? And the temple of God was opened in heaven. So he could now see into the temple. And there was seen in his temple, again, this is important. This is the last verse we read before we go into chapter 12. And if we take out the chapter breaks, which are artificial, this flows right into the next verse. So that verse where we see the, the woman clothed with, this, with 12 stars and the moon at her, clothed with the sun and 12 stars in her crown and um, the, the moon at her feet, all of that is in the context of this. That the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the Ark of his Testament, or we could say the Ark of the Covenant. So in heaven is the Ark of the Covenant, in, in, in the temple in heaven. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. 
And so this, this um, Ark of the Covenant is in pride of place in heaven. That God has made a covenant with his people. And he is faithful to that covenant. And now he's acting. And, and as he introduces chapter 12, verse 1, about this woman, it's got something to do with this covenant. But before we go there, let's go to Isaiah 49, where God is faithful. Israel is not. And because Israel is not faithful, they don't think God is faithful. And here in Isaiah 49, verse 14, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. And my Lord has forgotten me. Yes, indeed, Zion has been punished according to the law, according to the agreement, according to the covenant. And because of that punishment, they believe that God has forgotten them. How does God answer in verse 15? Can a woman forget her suckling child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yeah, they may, they may forget. Yet will I not forget you. And this is why the Ark of the Covenant is in pride of place in heaven. And when the temples opened, what strikes John right away is the pride of place that is given to the Ark of the Covenant. And so God has not forgotten Israel. A woman may forget her suckling child and, and may not have compassion on the son of her womb. That could happen. But that God would forget Israel, whom he's covenanted with, that can never happen. It's impossible. He says, he goes on, Behold, I have graven you, who? Zion. I have graven Israel upon the palms of my hands. So that sacrifice when he came to earth, it wasn't for anybody. It was specifically for Zion. And, and God will never forget the covenant that he has with Zion. Behold, I have graven you upon the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So it might appear that God has forgotten Israel, but he hasn't. Their walls are continually before him. So in the context now of this Ark of the Covenant, we continue reading the script in chapter 12. So there should be no chapter break. The, 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 temp, the seventh trumpet is blown. The, the heavens are opened. You can see the temple and you can see the, the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And there appeared... A great wonder. This is a great wonder that appeared in heaven. There appeared a great wonder. And what was this great, this, this mega wonder in heaven? It was a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head, 12 stars. This is symbolic language. So we're not looking for 12 actual stars. We're not looking for an actual woman in the sky with the sun, and, uh, clothed by the sun and the moon at her feet, which got the whole Christian world going wild last year. These are symbols. And it's hearkening back to the symbolism in Genesis 37. Again, we take Genesis literally, unless it's obvious that it's speaking symbolically. And so um, here Joseph had a dream, and what he dreamed represented they were symbols they were representing something and john is hearkening back to this scripture and he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brothers and he said behold i've dreamed a dream more so he had another dream and behold the sun and the moon 
and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. So he's one tribe and the other 11 tribes made obeisance to him and the sun and the moon representing his parents. So this is really Israel now. And so and then so, so the woman that that symbolism represents Israel and she she is Israel being with child cried travailing in birth and pained to be delivered again this is language that uh, John is borrowing from the Old Testament scriptures in Isaiah he says like as a woman with child that draws near is Isaiah 26 verse 17 like as a woman with child that draws near the time of her delivery is in pain and cries out in her pangs so have we Israel been in the sight of in your sight O Lord so it's understood from the Old Testament scriptures that Israel is the woman and and she's in travail to give birth to the child in chapter 66 before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. So again, it's understood that Israel is the woman that gives birth to the child. In Micah, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shall you go forth out of the city, and you shall dwell in the field, and you shall go even to Babylon. There you shall be delivered, there the Lord shall redeem you from the hand of your enemy. So again, understood that the woman is Israel. And in Micah again, Now also many nations are gathered against you that say, Let her be defiled, and let our eye look upon Zion. So she's the woman that is persecuted by the nations. Continuing in Revelation 12. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, Behold a great red dragon. And this, this language is, kind of, is quite interesting. Uh, this second wonder is a great red dragon. So the first wonder was a woman, but it was a great wonder. The second is just a wonder, but it's a great dragon. But the first is a great wonder. So this woman is, is sort of the, the thing that really caught John's attention. It was a great wonder. And then there was another wonder. What was the other wonder? It was a great red dragon. So this great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. So this dragon is, is a ruler. It's got seven heads and every head has a crown. And it's a, it's a great dragon. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven again this is obviously symbolic language we're not it's not saying that literally a third of the stars of heaven were drawn he's using symbolic language so he says it drew a third part of the stars of heaven and it cast them to the earth so the stars didn't come to the earth but these are angels that he was successful in capturing a third part of the angels to follow him and they've come to earth and the dragon this dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born and again we have to ask the question who is this child who, who is this woman now 
those who are pr proposing or, or are trying to propagate this notion that they have a special ticket to the place of safety, they want to argue that the woman is the church. Because when the woman is persecuted by the dragon, the, the woman is taken to a, a place of safety. But the woman gave birth to the child. That child is Jesus Christ. And the church did not exist before Jesus Christ's incarnation. In a sense, Christ gave birth to the church. The church didn't give birth to, to Christ. He, because he came and was successful, that's how the church was launched on Pentecost. So the church comes after Christ, but Christ comes after the woman. The woman has to precede Christ in order to give birth to him. So very clearly, if we're following the scriptures responsibly, the woman is Israel. And Israel gives birth to Christ. Israel gives birth to the church. And so it says that uh, the dragon now stands, John sees the dragon standing before the woman and she's ready to be delivered. And when she's delivered, what does he want to do? He wants to devour the child as soon as it was born. And we actually saw this fulfilled when we look at Matthew chapter 2. When we see here Satan working through Herod, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise man. So it's all about Herod. Herod is all about himself, not realizing he's being a tool of the devil. This is really about the devil, but he's being a tool of the devil. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise man, was exceedingly angry. And so we, got, we have to watch anger. Anger is a tool of the devil. And when we are exceedingly angry, the scripture says, be angry but sin not. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Why? Because Satan uses wrath. And so here we saw the nations were angry. Here we see Herod is angry. We have to watch this. He was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. Imagine that. And in all the coasts thereof, he was determined to slay this child. From two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken of Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. Again, Israel is the woman, weeping for her children. Continuing in Revelation 12. And she, that's Israel, brought forth a man-child, that's Christ, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God, and to his throne. So we know that's exactly what happened. Israel, specifically Judah, gave birth to this child. The child conquered the devil and then ascended to heaven, to God's throne. And now he sits on God's throne. And again in Isaiah 9, for unto us, us is not mankind. It's not unto mankind in general a child is born. No, this is Israel. Israel is speaking unto us, the chosen covenant people of God, a child is born. The woman 
gives birth to the child, and he's to rule all nations. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, he's to rule all nations, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So this woman, this woman that gave birth to the child, we can't just make things up. It's a symbol of Israel. This woman that gave birth to the child that's going to rule all nations. This is the woman that fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days, three and a half years. So for three and a half years, the woman is, is looked after in this wilderness, which again is all symbolic language. Now we have people who take all of this literally and they will uh, try to propose that they have the ticket to the place of safety. And the place of safety is a place called Petra. Because there are these natural caves that are in this rocks, rock city. It's all naturally formed and there's different uh, dugouts that have been created there as well that people can live there. And so this is the place of safety. And when the tribulation comes, then the church, if you're in my church, will give you the signal and you buy your airplane ticket and we all fly to Petra and, uh, and then we just follow the leader into this place of safety, which is really quite ludicrous. And when you think of, you know, really, just by being here, we're, we're, we're safe. When today we have nuclear technology and, and, and Satan hates this, this, uh, this woman and he wants to destroy us, that, you know, with chemical uh, warfare and nuclear warfare, uh, can we be safe just physically being in this place? It just, it, it just doesn't make sense. But really why it doesn't make sense is the woman is not the church. The church did not give birth to Christ. Israel gave birth to Christ. And John is borrowing here language from the Old Testament. It's symbolic language. So here, they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount. So Israel was taken into the wilderness, not on eagles' wings, but that, that's the symbolism. Here in Hosea, therefore behold, I will allure her. Who's her? The woman. Who's the woman? Israel. I will allure Israel and bring her into the wilderness. This is what God says he will do to Israel. I will bring Israel into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. So God has a covenant with Israel. And Satan wants to destroy Israel so that he can destroy, make God a liar. But God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And all those promises that are outstanding to Judah, and all those promises that are outstanding to Israel, God is going to fulfill every single one of them. So Israel cannot be destroyed. Judah cannot be destroyed. Because if Israel and Judah are destroyed, God is a liar. So God is going to save these people. And he's going to take them to the wilderness to ensure that they are not destroyed. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. This is a prophecy. Continuing now in Revelation 12 and verse 7. There was war in heaven. 
And Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. So there's this great war in heaven now. Michael stands up and he fights against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels. So he's got a third of the stars, that's a, you know, a third of the angels are in his army. And they're fighting now against Michael and his angels. And prevailed not. Michael, Mikael is powerful. This is a powerful archangel. And he and his angels overcome the dragon and his angels. So the, the dragon prevailed not. Not only did he not prevail, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Meaning, there's place. Until this happens, even though Satan's primary focus is on earth, until this war takes place, he still has access to heaven. And we see that in Job. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. So Satan's right there in heaven. Even though he's focused on the earth, he, he has access to heaven. And the Lord said unto Satan, where did you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth. That's his focus. Why? Because the image of God is on earth. The, the, the future kings, the future priests are on earth. Man made in the image of God is on earth. That's why Satan's focus is earth. And so he's, he's walking up and down in the earth and, and walking up and down in it. And here we see again, it's not new, that uh, Michael battles with Satan. In Daniel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, that is Satan, for 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. So this Mikael is a very powerful, very, very powerful archangel. And, and, and in Daniel's prophecy, it's understood that at the end time, which we are just reading about now in chapter 12, at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people. That's Israel. So Michael is very much focused on Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time your people shall be delivered every one that shall be found written in the book. Continuing in chapter 12. So this focus, this is a great wonder that John saw in heaven. What was it? Israel. He saw the Ark of the Covenant and then Israel. God has not forgotten his covenant with Israel. And Satan's going to do everything he can to destroy this covenant, but he cannot. Why? Because Michael's going to overpower him, and then God's going to ensure that the, the covenant people are preserved. Even though Satan will do much destruction, but there will be a, a, a covenant uh, remnant. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, that, just so John wants us to be clear who he's talking about. He's talking about the ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. Now, we often will quote this phrase just to show that Satan is a deceiver, that the world is deceived. But in context, what it's really talking about is this battle 
where Satan is trying to overcome God's throne and he's been defeated and he is very angry. And he now, because he could not overcome the throne, now he wants to destroy the people of the throne. And so in this context, he's deceiving the whole world to turn the whole world against the covenant people. That's, the, that's why the nations are angry. And so, you know, by reading Revelation, really the purpose of this book is to encourage us, to give us conviction, no matter what, no matter what, we're going to be faithful to the end, no matter what. And then what God tells us is the what. You know, we say no matter what. Christ says, here's, here's, what, here's what's what. And so we see worst case scenario. And we see it and we say, yep, no matter what, we will do what we have to do because it's all very short. When all of this happens, it's, gonna ha it's all going to be over really in three and a half years. That's a really short period of time. And so no matter what. So this is a book about endurance. But what we come to understand in, in studying the text is, you know what? They don't hate me. They're acting like they hate me. They're angry with me. And they're angry with you. And they're acting like they hate you. But we begin to realize we shouldn't take this personally. This is the devil. As we understand what's really happening, as, as we sort of, um, it's like a, a zoom lens that then starts to pan out. And at first, all we could see is ourselves. But then as it starts to pan out, we get to see, oh, wow, oh, wow, here's what's really going on. And what's really going on is Satan hates Jesus Christ. He hates Christ with a passion. His whole hatred is spewing out to Christ. And since he can't access Christ, he goes after us. He goes after the covenant people. And so that's what this is about. And so the reason the nations are angry is because he deceives the whole world. And he, he just the same way he deceived Herod, and Herod was angry and did his bidding. When the world is angry, they become puppets of the devil. That's why anger is so dangerous. We can become puppets of the devil. So Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So now, they no longer have access to heaven. Now his entire focus is the earth. He knows he's lost. And now it's, it's about as doing as much damage as he possibly can, taking out as many people as he, as he can with him. And, and this now, when, when, when John refers to him as the ancient serpent, as that old serpent, he's pointing all the way back to the beginning. He's going all the way back to Genesis. That now the serpent that was in the Garden of Eden this is the same serpent, that ancient serpent. It's going all the way back to the beginning. Now, and again, we, we read in Job that there was a day when the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord, and Satan came as well. Now that's over. Satan no longer has this access. And then it says, uh, verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now is come salvation. So a very loud voice. There's excitement in heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. So again, that's something that we have to really be clear about. When we're busy accusing the brethren, this is not the spirit of God. It's actually the spirit of the devil. So the, the, the devil is the accuser. So he says... 
the, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuse them before our God day and night. That's so constantly going back and forth to heaven and just accusing them, accusing them. That's always accusing us. And we get a glimpse of that again in Job when Satan answered the Lord and said, Does God fear does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you put a hedge around him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? And you've blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. He's no better than me. You're just putting a hedge around him. Try taking all that away, and you'll see the real Job. And you can imagine what he's saying about all of us. So he's, this is what he does, night and day, night and day. Here he says, you know, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. And that's what, that's what he's banking on. He's hoping that we are like this, that we are like him, that we're just so self-absorbed that we'll give anything for our life. And that's, what, that's how he'll get brother to betray brother. Because we care so much about our life, we will give anything, even our brothers. We'll even betray the body of Christ in order to stay alive. So, But you put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. So we know uh, what Satan is like. And we know that these are the kinds of accusations that he levels against God's people. So no doubt, as he accused Job, he's accusing us. That he's saying to God, look, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. You take that hedge away from them, and they will curse you to your face. And this is what's so dangerous and so insidious about this place of safety doctrine. That the whole book of Revelation, the whole purpose of the book of Revelation, is to encourage us. And it's to say, skin for skin, don't worry about it. Because no matter what happens, our citizenship is in heaven. It's with Christ. And we have to be overcomers. And so no matter what is put in our path, as long as we remain true and faithful and we overcome whatever is put in our path, we will sit on Christ's throne. But now along come these uh, shysters and they say, hey, you stay in my church and I'll give you a ticket to the place of safety. And, and so now what we, what we become is concerned about our skin. And it's now all about my life. And I, I become nervous about suffering because I feel I'm assured that I'm going to go to the place of safety. Uh, this is like Satan getting in the middle here. We have to be people who are like, you know what? Skin for skin, my skin doesn't matter. What matters is the glory of Jesus Christ. And as long as I can have the glory of Christ on my lips, I really don't care. Because this, is, this world is not about me, it's about Christ. And everything was created for Christ. And I am heartbroken that the world is not praising Christ. And I want to do my part in bringing the world to Christ. And so, and if I have to lose my life in the process, oh well. It's, it's just a physical life anyway, and I'm going to lose it anyway. I want to take hold of eternal life. And so you can't threaten me with death. I've already died. When I was baptized, I died. So you can't threaten me with death. And so this is how we become overcomers when we've died in Christ. If we are trying to hold on to our life and hoping for this place of safety, we're going to become betrayers. Because what's top of mind for us is staying alive. And that's what Satan is banking on. Continuing in verse 11. 
they overcame him. How did we overcome the devil? By hoping we would escape? No. We overcame this sly, subtle mastermind by the blood of the Lamb. What that's telling us, we're coming up to Passover soon, and we're going to show the Lord's death by rehearsing the symbolism of Passover. And we show the Lord's death until he comes by doing this. But it's important for us to understand the Lord's death. The Lord's death conquered the devil. And when the devil threw the full force of his hatred and the full force of his temptation at Christ, Christ loved Israel to the death. He came to redeem Israel. And that love that he had for Israel was so profound that there is nothing the devil could throw at him that would shake that love. In fact, when the devil threw everything at him, Christ conquered the devil because of that love. So when we understand the blood of the Lamb and we die with the Lamb, we overcome the devil. It's not this hoping to go to the place of safety that makes us overcomers. It's, you know what? I've already died in Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm at peace. I'm at peace. Whatever the Lord, the Lord has, the hairs of my head are numbered. And whatever the Lord wills for me, I'm at peace as long as Christ is glorified. And the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. The people who are anxious, oh, I hope I go to the place of safety. They don't fit this category. They don't love not their lives unto the death. Those who truly understand the Passover, who truly understand the blood of the Lamb, which is the love of the Lamb, then, you know, I think what John wrote in, in his uh, first uh, epistle, we love him. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. It's because of that profound love that God had for Israel that now we who are Israel, we, we return the love. And the same way that he conquered the devil with his love, we now conquer the devil with his love. This, this, this is how we become overcomers. And the book of Revelation is all about overcoming. That's what it's about. And so Christ just tells us beforehand, look, this is what you might have to overcome. Are you in or are you out? And we say, Lord, we're in. Count us in. Count us in. And he says here, when, he, when we study Luke, whoever will save his life shall lose it. If you're all about your life, you've lost. You have lost. This, what's coming at us is so profound, it's so powerful, and it's so subtle. It's a, we're dealing with a master deceiver. That the way that he deceived Eve was to get her to focus on her life. The way that he conquered Adam was to get him to focus on his life. The way that he has worked, he's, he's not creative. But he's effective. And what he always does, skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. And so the threat of death is what he hangs over our head and enslaves us with. And the Passover, understanding, and the blood of the Lamb frees us from the devil's influence. We're no longer seduced by the devil's influence because we're not about ourselves. And so now he has no power over us. And it doesn't matter what he throws at us, it just doesn't work. And so Christ warns us, whoever will save his life will lose it. 
But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So it's actually paradoxical. The more you focus on saving your life, the more you've lost. The more you just die, and it's not about your life anymore, and you love not your life to the death, you just it's all about Christ and loving Christ, you're going to save your life. You're going to endure to the end. And Christ promises here, to him that conquers. The book of Revelation is about conquest. It's all about conquest. It's about how Christ conquers the devil, and it's about how those in, in Christ conquer the devil and conquer the beast. And there's parts where it looks like the beast is actually conquering us, but the same way it looked like Satan conquered the Christ, but actually in that apparent conquest was Christ's victory, is the same way when it looks like the beast is conquering God's people, in that apparent conquest is our victory. Why? Because the same way that Christ loved Israel to the death, we love Christ to the death. And it's this love, it's through this love that we conquer. To him that conquers will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also conquered, and am set down with my Father in his throne. Revelation 12, verse 12. So the devils come down to earth, and the scripture says, Therefore rejoice you heavens, and you that dwell in them. So Satan's gone from the heavens now. He no longer has access. Rejoice you heavens. And you that dwell on them. And now here's the third woe. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And of the sea. So it's the earth and the sea. And remember, we'll, we'll talk about this next week when we get into chapter 13. But remember the angel stood on the earth and the sea. Saying, with the little book. Saying that the kingdom of God was going to be victorious. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you. So we'll talk about that next week. And, and, and why, why is this uh, such a great woe? Because he's come down having great wrath. And this is what Christ, you know, this is all sim symbolic, but it, Christ wants us to understand what's going on. That the devil has great wrath. He's now locked out of heaven. Remember that his desire was to be not just like the Most High, that means to, he wants to be the Most High. So he wanted to be in heaven, he wanted to be God. And now that's over. That, that dream, that vision that he had, no way. There's, he's just, he was no match. You know, it's not even that God fought him, Michael fought him off. And now he's locked out. And now he's furious, this is it. So now he can't get what he wants, he wants to make sure that nobody gets what they want. And he's going to try to take out as many people as he can. So now he has great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So it's, it's intense now. And this is what Revelation helps us to understand, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we need to understand, we need to see things spiritually. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, and now he has no longer access to heaven, and no longer access to, to Christ whom he hates, what does he do? He persecuted the woman, which woman? The woman which brought forth the man-child. So what we're going to see now, and, and we, you know, we're so wrapped up in ourselves that we put ourselves everywhere, but this is not about the church. This is about the woman which brought forth the man-child. So when he sees that he no longer has access to heaven, and that time is running out, now his agenda 
is to destroy Israel. That the promises that God has made to Israel, his desire is to destroy Israel so that God becomes a liar and God is unable to fulfill these promises. In uh, Nehemiah, and we're just to how you know the nations are angry, just to give you an example here, it came to pass in Nehemiah that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, so they were rebuilding Jerusalem, and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very angry. So Satan is stirring up the nations here to be angry about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And it's just quite interesting here that we see, even anciently, the Arabians were the enemies of the people of God, of the covenant people. But it says here they were very angry. And this is how Satan works. He stirs up anger. And when the people are stirred up with anger and they're all outraged, this is when Satan can use them like puppets. And so the nations are angry. So when Satan comes to the earth and he's going to persecute the woman, he's going to use nations that are overwhelmed with anger and, and they will do his bidding. Verse 14, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. So again, we have to be careful that this is all symbolic language and we get carried away. You know, it, does this mean that an eagle is actually going to come to earth and carry the, the woman away? It's all symbolism. So to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. Why? How? Or, or for what purpose? That she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. So there's that time frame again of three and a half years. One time, two times, and a half a time. So three and a half years from the face of the serpent. So, so the serpent is not directly attacking the woman. He's stirring up the nations to attack the woman. And wings are given to the woman so that she can flee into the wilderness and the woman is Israel specifically Judah and this matches the prophecy that we see in Matthew 24 where Christ says this when you he's speaking to Judah when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet and again that little book has to do with Daniel's prophecies so the angel comes and the little book is now opened, meaning Daniel's prophecies are now unfolding. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, all these prophecies to do at the end time, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, making the holy place defiled. Whoso reads, let him understand. Make sure you go back to the prophecies of Daniel and you understand what's there. And Pastor Watson is going to be starting a series, a Bible study series on Tuesday evenings on the book of Daniel. And we have to understand Daniel and Revelation together. These two prophets, uh, John and Daniel, go hand in hand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Are we in Judea? We're not in Judea. It says, let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. So these are the wings that are given to the woman 
who brought forth the child, the man-child. So Judah brought forth the man-child. And these are wings now that are being given to the woman to flee into the wilderness. Let, th let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. So Christ's advice to those that are in Judea, the covenant people, is that when you see the abomination of desolation set up, run for your life and run into the wilderness. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray you that your flight be not in the winter. That's going to be horrible for you. Neither on the Sabbath day. So these are Sabbath keeping people. So pray that. For then, it says, when is all this going to happen? In the time of great tribulation. That three and a half years. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So Satan has an agenda to destroy the covenant people and God is going to ensure that the covenant people are not fully destroyed. And in Exodus 19, we see this same language. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings. Did, did God actually bear them on eagles' wings? No, it's a symbolic language that he, he gave them a way of escape and brought you unto myself. And again, in Deuteronomy, we see that for the Lord's portion is his people. Israel is God's portion. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So he is not going to allow Satan to destroy Jacob. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. So John is borrowing this language to say that this angel, or sorry, this eagle is going to take the people of God into the wilderness. He's going to instruct them. He's going to allure her there. He's going to look after her there. As an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them, bears them on her wings. In Hosea, therefore behold, I will allure her again, Hosea 2.14, and bring her into the wilderness. God is not unfaithful he has not forgotten his people his people may have forgotten him his people may be unfaithful but he is going to carry out this promise that he made to abraham and he's going to speak comfortably to her in verse 15 and the serpent cast out uh the the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman so water is very very powerful uh, water, water will destroy. Water will, you know, God forbid that we should ever get caught up in a in a flood, because of the power that water has. And so this, he cast out of his mouth uh, water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So is this an actual flood that he sends? Uh, after the woman so does, does a real eagle come and take the woman and then you know water goes after the woman it's all symbolic language so he sends a flood after the woman and the flood is really a, a flood of people it's an army it's human beings that go after the woman but notice where the flood comes from the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood so there's something in the serpent's mind that he's able to speak there's some sort of doctrine 
that he's able to put into the minds of men that stirs up hatred against the woman and they all agree to go after the woman. And so this is why you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies because of it comes out of the Satan's mouth, out of his mind, out of his mouth, into the minds of men and they are caught up with this anger and hatred and they go after the woman. And here in, in um, 2 Samuel, we see uh, when the waves of death come past me, the floods of the ungodly men made me afraid. So the flood are ungodly men. It's really an army of men that go after the woman. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth. This is all symbolic language that John, remember this is apocalyptic literature. So it's meant to be visionary. It's meant to be symbolic. What we have to do is sort of take in all the symbols that John saw and then understand what do these symbols point to. They're not the actual thing. They are signs that point us to the thing. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. In Numbers, we see with Moses that the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up. These were the rebels against Moses. They were rebelling against God's government and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. So we see what happened there. There was this earthquake, swallowed up the people. Uh, so it looks like that's what's going to happen, that they're going to go, people physically chasing the covenant people, going after them. They're running for their lives, and it looks like all hope is lost. But because, because God is committed to protecting the covenant people so that he can fulfill his promise in them, there's going to be this massive earthquake that swallows those people up and allows the woman to escape. And the dragon was angry with the woman. So he, he is just full of hate-filled wrath with the woman. And he went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So he couldn't get after the covenant people. He couldn't get after the, 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 the woman, Judah, who gave birth to the man-child. That was his primary focus. But because he couldn't get her, he now pivots and he goes to make war with the rest of her seed. Who are the rest of her seed? Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This now is the rest of the church. That the, 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 the people who have been grafted into Judah that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the place of safety has nothing to do with the church. It has to do with the people in Judea who Christ instructed them, when you see the abomination of desolation set up, we're entering into a three and a half year period of great tribulation. Run for your life and run into the wilderness. And then these people are going to chase you, but an earthquake is going to swallow them up and you'll be in the wilderness. And because now Satan is unsuccessful in going after you, he's going to take his armies and he's going to turn on the rest of the, the, the remnant of her seed. And who are they? The ones who keep the commandments of God and who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this is, you know, in Romans 11, it tells us clearly that all Gentiles in the church and even Israelites in the church, because the covenant remained with Judah, nor the northern tribes were divorced. So the way that God gets Israel back into the covenant is they have to come in with the Gentiles and they need to be grafted into the covenant with Judah. 
And, and so even the Gentiles now are grafted in, and he is a Jew who is one inwardly. So these are th this is the rest of the, of the seed. And that actually is language that points us back to Genesis, that there's going to be hostility between Satan and Eve, and between Eve's, Satan's seed and Eve's seed. And so the seed obviously is Christ, but all of us, all of us who are in Christ, there's hostility now between us and the devil. And so this is the, the anger that he has to those in Christ. I'm going to end now with a passage from Hannah in 1 Samuel. And again, the book of Revelation is all about encouragement. Stay faithful. Satan is already conquered. Love God and understand that he has already won. The kingdom of God has already been announced. It's just a matter of time, a very short time, for it to be ushered in. So I love what uh, Anna, uh, Hannah has written here. And I think we'll just conclude with this and then uh, a final passage that we've read already in 1 John. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside you. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Some people, they just talk so proudly. Stop it. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. So we saw that white horseman with a bow and a crown going forth to conquer. Well, you know what? The bows of the mighty men are broken. And they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. So that the barren has borne seven, and she that has had many children is waxed feeble. There's this great reversal that Hannah sees. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifts up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints. And this is the whole point of the book of Revelation, that as bad as it's going to get. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them, and the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. And then I just wanted to just conclude. We'll go, uh, go back to First um, John. First uh, John four nineteen. We love him, and let's not forget this. We love him. Why do we love him? 
because he first loved us. And so this book of Revelation that we're working our way through, we see just how much Christ loves us and how wicked and evil the devil is and his hatred for Christ. And because he cannot get at Christ, he goes after the woman. And because he can't get the woman, he comes after the church. And he's a deceiver. So he deceives the whole world so that the whole world is in unison with this hatred towards God's people. And we now are so filled with love for Christ that no matter what happens, we will be faithful to the end and his praises will continually be upon our lips. Jesus Christ is so wonderful. And this book of Revelation is just helping us understand how glorious he is. And we're going to fight till the end to be faithful so that we hear from him, well done, thou good and faithful service. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's praise him forever.